Welcome to 8 Million, a podcast series that looks at the 8 million metric tons of plastic entering our oceans every year, and what role China plays in addressing this global challenge. 8 Million is produced by Sustainable Asia and its partners China Dialogue and Aya Recording Studio. New consumption patterns like online shopping and food delivery are increasing our demand for plastic even more. But for the moment, we are dealing with an unprecedented crisis. Hi, this is Marcy Trent Long. I've lived in Hong Kong for the past 20 years and watched the increasing amount of disposable plastic really alter the fabric of our oceans and beaches here. As someone who sails and is an avid open water swimmer, plastic waste has really changed the way I look at quality of life here. And as more of my friends here in Asia are starting to use the ocean as their playground, they too are seeing plastic as an unpleasant and unnecessary result of our convenience-driven lifestyle. The goal of this podcast series is to reveal the inner workings of plastic waste management in China so that I can make some sense of the impact that China is having on ocean plastic. China is trying to find the solution to solving an immense waste crisis. According to World Bank numbers, the country is currently dealing with 200 million tons of garbage a year. The numbers are hard to get your brain around. And to give you a nice visual, you could fill 25 pyramids of Giza with 200 million tons of garbage. That's Jennifer Turner, director of the China Environment Forum at the Woodrow Wilson Center. And it's going to get up to 500 million tons in about five years per year. That's a lot of Giza temples of garbage. And so cities, their their landfills are full and they need to find a solution. Now, it's intriguing to me, but then not surprising at the same time that China has gone to incineration. In our last episode, we discussed the trouble with recycling. China's waste import ban has put the world's waste industry into crisis mode. And like Hong Kong environmental entrepreneur Doug Woodring told me, I want to solve the problem of waste getting into our waters. We'll have to look into waste to energy. 90% of the world's plastic does not get recycled, even though you see a nice little recycling triangle on the bottom of every product. That means it is recyclable. It does not mean it gets recycled. And most of the world does not have the infrastructure to do that recycling. And what happens with waste that does not get recycled? The Alan MacArthur Foundation estimates 40% goes into landfills, and a full third ends up leaking into nature. What else can we do with it? I put that question to Nicholas Themelis, a global authority on waste energy technology. I rang him up in his home close to Columbia University, where he teaches. First of all, what's waste to energy? Well, after you do all possible recycling and composting on municipal salt waste, you end up with what's called post-recycling waste. With this material, which is at least 50% or more of the municipal solid waste. There are two alternatives. 
you either landfill them, which is the, the usual way of dealing with it, or you use them as a fuel in a waste-to-energy power plant. It's a power plant, same as you have for coal and gas, but it uses municipal solid waste instead of coal. But it's a power plant that makes electricity or heat. So post-recycling waste can either go to landfill or into a power plant. And China is betting hard on that latter option because... To understand, we have looked at Beijing, and Beijing has had something like 500 landfills around it and inside it, because what happens with landfills, the municipalities, the communities, build around the landfill. And then the landfill fills up, has to close, and they have to dig a a new hole somewhere. Decides they'll need something more efficient than landfills to deal with it all. Enter the Renewable Energy Law, originally drafted in 2005, but since amended. Each time it's been amended, it's had ever greater targets on promoting renewable energy. Jennifer Turner again. I mean, it was used to be 10% total electricity from renewable energy by 2010. And then when they amended it, it was 15%. And some provinces and cities are wanting even more. And, and so what this law did is that it in created a feed-in tariffs and other kinds of incentives for renewable energy. And what's really important in China is that laws are not the only thing that matters. They also had targets in their five-year plans. So China was suddenly on fire with renewable energy investment. That of interest to, to us, what impact this had on waste to energy? Well, Without the renewable energy law, we would have not seen this big boom in waste energy plants in China. Today, there's somewhere between 230, 300 uh, waste energy incinerators, and there are targets to build 300 more. The largest waste energy plant in the world is under construction outside Shenzhen. Safe to say, China is seeing this as a key part of their strategy to combat the waste crisis and stem the steady flow of plastic trash into the ocean. But the devil's in the details. I discussed this with Christine Lowe, you might remember her from episode two, where she taught us the ABC of China's policy making. As former Undersecretary of the Environment for Hong Kong, she knows a thing or two about waste policy. Waste is really complicated because there are so many different types of waste. Each type of waste needs its own plan. And for waste to energy? What it requires is for people to separate out the organic waste. This is the thing about waste treatment that is complicated. It requires a kind of whole supply demand chain action. So it gets down to the same lessons we learned on recycling. It's all about sorting. And that is one of the areas China is currently lagging behind in. As we discussed previously, As the informal waste-picking networks are being modernized, a sustainable infrastructure is still lacking. And this is a problem for the booming waste-to-energy industry. For um, European and American audiences to kind of picture this, that you have the world's fastest-growing economy, but you don't have cities that are have really formalized recycling programs. It is starting in some cities, but they also don't generally pull out organic wastes. You end up with municipal solid waste that has tons of recyclables and lots and lots of organic material. And so that makes it very wet, which for incineration means that it's hard to burn. Their waste to energy would be much more effective if they were actually sorting it. 
Basically, wet and dry waste require different methods to extract energy in the most efficient way. By not separating the wet and dry, incinerators need to burn at higher temperatures. Higher temperatures mean more toxins are released. But Nicholas Themelis, who runs the Global Waste Energy Research and Technology Council, is optimistic about the Chinese plants and says there's a global downward trend in the amount of toxins emitted, largely thanks to the improving technology and regulation. Before the U.S. waste energy plants, they knew that they had to capture dioxins. They were putting out 10,000 grams. So it was a big thing. From 10,000, they went down to three. The last survey we made in China, it was about 23 gra 24 grams of dioxins. And they tried to cut that down to five or six. There's some doubt about these numbers, though. The Wuhu Ecological Center in Anhui Province, China, has consistently criticized the waste-to-energy industry for not releasing emission data. In 2016, only 77 incinerators agreed to disclose data, and a quarter of these plants didn't meet the emission standards. According to business professionals, the older plants do indeed struggle to meet the standards, but new plants, like the mega plant in Shenzhen, are built with the latest technology and have cut down on emissions significantly. Another concern often raised by those who oppose this heavy investment in incineration is that it takes away from the incentive to change our ways. In 2015, 200 Asian environmental campaign groups signed a document laying out this argument. But as Mao Da, co-founder of signatory group Zero Waste Alliance, acknowledges, Under certain conditions, waste to energy can be a good solution. For example, small, light, composite packages, meaning there's a lot of different plastics blended together. Those can't be separated. So the only option is landfill or waste to energy. Some plastics are also not suitable for recycling because they can leach toxic chemicals. In these cases, incineration in a well-controlled environment, like as in Japan or in Germany, can be less polluting than recycling. Nicholas Themelis agrees that recycling is better, but says that right now waste to energy is needed to solve the pollution problem. The environmental is better to have recycling, but there are kind of limitations to what can happen with recycling. And plastics is a good example, because with all the efforts that have gone to recycle plastics, especially in California, because California is kind of a leader in environmental conscious in the U.S., with all the efforts that have gone into it, the plastics recycling, the actual plastics to materials, is about 10% of the total plastics generated. As a matter of fact, anyone who comes to us and wants a waste to energy plant, we say, make sure you do as much recycling as possible, because there's still room for the waste to energy plant. But this is not the way to go. When we're dealing with plastic products that are impossible to recycle, or when these products can cause harm, they should be eliminated from the market. Reducing the amount of plastics we use is the ideal way to go. And that is what the developed countries are looking into right now. Jennifer Turner compares this approach in Europe, 
they have this kind of waste hierarchy. Think of it like a pyramid prevention at the base. We're going to try to limit the amount of garbage. So they've got rules and regulations and incentives to limit packaging, getting people to recycle. But really, they see incineration as just the very last final solution to solve their solid waste problems. But in China, you kind of flip that, you know, if we want to view it as kind of like a waste pyramid, that the top is waste energy. With the current waste crisis in China and the 8 million tons of plastic entering our ocean every year, that might actually be the way to stop the source, contain the release. As Bill Robertson of the US EPA explained to me back in episode one of this podcast series. And from what I keep hearing from people that I talk to over the course of this series, this is what they had to say. And now we're talking about not just even plastic bottles, which are PET and they're more, you know, PET, that they're more valuable, but all kinds of little flimsy plastics. And so what do you do with that? Maybe there's something you can do with them in the future. But before that happens, incineration, it's a real option. China, by building more waste energy plants, I think they will reduce the amount of plastics that ends up in the oceans, in the waters, or on land. It's, it's absolutely necessary if we really want to solve the problem of, of the waste getting into our waters. It's dangerous to draw quick conclusions, and there's no simple answers. If anything, this series has taught me the problem of plastics in our ocean is incredibly complicated. But looking at the way China is tackling this challenge has opened my eyes to the solutions for our global plastic crisis. I want to thank everyone who shared their knowledge and experience with me. Here's a couple quotes to leave you with. You know, in Hong Kong and Peru, many African countries, um, many parts of Southeast Asia and Asia Pacific, in the United States, some shores of the UK. And so wherever you go, sadly, there, there is trash to be picked up. There is plastics on the beach. We became so used to using it and it became such a part of our lives that it became invisible. And as soon as I started looking for it, I saw it everywhere. Eight million metric tons of plastic going into the ocean. The lack of good collection and processing of plastic waste is the reason why plastic from China ends up in the ocean. The challenge is that the waste systems of today globally are not prepared to handle all of the myriad of plastic that are now in the waste stream. It's intriguing to me, but then not surprising at the same time that China has gone to incineration. This podcast was brought to you by Sustainable Asia. Eight Million was produced by me, Marcy Trent Long, and the multi-talented Sam Beckemans. We could not have pulled this podcast series together without our amazing audio engineers, Annabeth and Karsten Martins of Aya Recording Studio. Our logo and social media outreach was by Kinsey Long. And special thanks to our voiceover, Kian Lee, audio assistant, Daniel Sun, and our wonderful partners at China Dialogue. Isabel Hilton, who helped us formulate the idea for the project. Charlotte Middlehurst and Christopher Davey for their editing skills. And Huang Lushan for stepping in with interviews and translation. Share this podcast with your friends and colleagues. Education and collaboration are our best path for creating a sustainable Asia.